Have you heard the exciting news? On January 25th, 2023, Tammy Zonker is hosting her first annual and free virtual summit for you and 999 other fundraisers and nonprofit leaders. Transform 23, also known as Fundraising Transformation Virtual Summit, is hyper-focused on equipping fundraisers everywhere to take your fundraising to the next, next level. We've put together 10 wow-packed sessions with you in mind, led by 10 incredible forward-thinking experts to help you transform your fundraising in 2023 and beyond. And a special shout out to our transformation sponsor, The Giving Block. Now here's the thing, while it's free for you to attend, spots are limited. So go to fundraisingtransform.com transform23 and save your spot now. If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars, and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. Today on the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, I am talking with the completely marvelous Shantara McBride. She is an international teacher, speaker, author, and preacher with expertise in youth development, diversity, and inclusion, and allyship. In 2014, she founded Marvelous University, a social enterprise designed to meet the diverse needs of girls and young women as they navigate life. Working with young people from all backgrounds, Marvelous University focuses on life coaching, success planning, mentorship, and leadership development. As part of these efforts, Shantara trains adults who engage with youth to ensure that they are well-equipped and trusted allies in the lives of these young people. In September of 2022, Shantara and co-author Rosalind Wiseman published a book called Courageous Discomfort, How to Have Important, Brave, Life-Changing Conversations About Race and Racism, an empowering handbook on how to have candid conversations around race and become a better advocate, written by a Black woman and a white woman who ask and answer 20 common, uncomfortable, but critical questions about racism. Many people struggle to have honest conversations about race, even those who consider themselves allies or who identify as anti-racist. For anyone who wants to have better, more productive discussions, Courageous Discomfort is an empowering handbook that teaches you how to do just that. Shantara stays grounded through her faith, her community of family and friends, and relationships with her mentees. These are constant reminders of her life's purpose, which is to mend, motivate, and empower young people and those young at heart to believe that they are, without reservation, completely marvelous. Support for this show is brought to you by Bloomerang. Our friends at Bloomerang really understand fundraisers, which is why they make donor management and online fundraising software that nonprofits love to use. 
To learn more and to join them in their vision of building a world inspired by giving, head over to bloomerang.com forward slash intentional dash fundraiser. I love that, Shantara. Yeah. Yeah. Psalms 139. Amen. Shantara, welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. Thank you for having me, Tammy. I'm truly already just like, oh, we're best friends. (laughs) I agree. There's a kindred spirit connection here. Yes. Yes. Well, and I feel like I know you because I I read your, I read your book cover to cover. Thank you. Yeah. And I love it. Thank you. Yeah. So you you. co-author this book with your friend and colleague, Rosalind Wiseman. Yep. Yep. And you ask these really amazing questions that none of them are surprising because I can say as a white woman, I've had these thoughts. Yeah. Like, well, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing sometimes. And, And I will tell you and our audience that since the murder of George Floyd in the summer of 2020, I really devoted myself to learning everything I could. Yeah. And I've been so blessed to be mentored and guided by some incredible women of color. Same. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like they could give us the space to ask the questions that are uncomfortable. Yeah. To say things wrong and to give us the grace and guide us and course correct. And, And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the summer of 2020 changed a lot of people. I think we, the pandemic and having time to sit and see what was going on, a time to feel like we were feeling things that usually we rush through, but the yes. pandemic made everybody pause. And so I think that that time was horrible and a blessing at the same time. If we allowed ourselves to feel. And if we allowed ourselves to see what was going on, excuse me. And I think like what you just said, I've learned so much from from people who look like me and people who don't look like me. And I think what one of the things that you talked about was the opportunity to learn. And I always tell people, especially white people, like this it, it, for even me, this stuff wasn't taught. A lot of the stuff that we're learning was not taught in our schools. I was at the same school, right? Right. And so yes. stuff that I learned happened much later in life as an adult. And so when we talk about ascending grace, it's because I, I was in the same classroom, right? right? And so I get it. I get that people don't know everything and we're still learning. And that's the beauty of being human beings and being open to learning. So I love that you said that. Good, good. Well, and thank you for normalizing the disconnect because from the time like when it wasn't taught in school to where we are in the season of our life now, there have been a whole bunch of assumptions and stereotypes and incidents and situations and misunderstandings and just ignorance, like unintentional, good people, mostly. Yeah. Mostly. Like mostly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm especially excited to amplify your message and bring your knowledge, your expertise, and your passion to the Intentional Fundraiser podcast, because I think this topic is especially relevant to us as fundraisers and as nonprofit leaders. We are these big-hearted do-gooders who deal with power dynamics every single day. 
And we can easily feel hesitant to have courageous conversations, uncomfortable conversations with our donors when they make assumptions or, or have bought into stereotypes about the people who are participating in our programs. And, and we fear correcting them for fear they won't give or we'll offend them. And we have the same feelings around having these uncomfortable or discomfortable conversations with our board members for fear we'll lose our jobs and maybe even colleagues who might be perpetuating those assumptions and stereotypes about communities of color in order to raise money, but at the cost of truth, dignity, and respect. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm just thinking, I was in the nonprofit world for a very long time. So before becoming what you see today. So before becoming an, a preacher, an author, before this, I was an assistant principal. And before becoming an assistant principal, I worked in the nonprofit world in D.C., which is how I met Rosalind. And so I remember going to fundraising opportunities in D.C. And, and I even tell this story in the book, like going to one of those foundation meetings, right? And I realized People on the front lines doing the work looked like me. Yes. They were people of color, but people with the money who was funding it were white. And I just never pay attention to that, didn't really know that. And but going to that foundation meeting, I was like, oh. And I was the only black woman in the room. And I was really confused because at that time I was in Chocolate City and <laughs> I just, just assumed horribly that people would look like me. And that, so what you just said about fundraising and, and really, really wanting to connect people who give to the mission of the organization that we're working with, that there are people, there are people behind this, this dollar, there are people behind this mission. And, and a lot of times there was a huge disconnect There was, let me do good by giving you funding, but then not understanding the community that we're serving. It was such a huge disconnect. So I, I'm relating to everything you just said. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the ways that this white saviorism has been perpetuated and how some of the restrictions that have been put on gifts really showcase that the funder does not understand the community, right? Those programs need to be developed with, for, and by the community. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. And that, that right there is, it's like, I'm thinking of different organizations. I'm thinking of Houston. I'm thinking of just different organizations that, that are doing the work and then having to beg people who don't look like them to understand this is the work that's going forward. So I shouldn't have to jump through a lot of hoops. And, and all of the, and a lot of it is tied to, to ignorance. It's tied also to microaggressions. It's tied to, not wanting to learn, not having to learn because of privilege. And so it's this huge disconnect and the people on the front lines just want to do good work. Yeah. Yeah. So we can do better. Yeah. 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 Tell me about why you were called to write this book to help dismantle racism and co-author this book with Rosalind. Like we said earlier, the summer of 2020 was just hard. 
And yeah. and Ross is white and Jewish. And so she does not look like me. But she was that friend. I've known her since 1999, which is such a long time. Sometimes I say that to young people and they're like, it started doing the math. And I was like, I don't care if that you weren't born. I don't care that you weren't thought. Like, stop, right? So, but for us, for 1999, that, that's how long we've known each other. And she was one of the people, she was really the person that I would text. And I would say, you would not believe what someone who looks like you just said to me. Yeah. Right. Like we, we have that kind of relationship. And, and she was just like, and, and we would talk about the desire to be an ally and it getting lost in this guilt. And how do I fix this guilt? But then how do I also speak up and how do I go out and make sure that these injustices stop? Right. And so so it was one of those situations where the more we talked, the more we text, we decided to do a webinar and we had a lot of people attend like. And from that, we did another one on and it was called How to Be an Ally, because that's what I felt like people were saying to me and and extending to me, like, can I buy your family dinner? Should I send you flowers? How was your soul today? And I'm like, y'all, this is not it. This this not it. I know what you're trying to do. But the, yeah. And so after those two webinars, her literary agent, because Ross is already a New York Times bestselling author, right? And so her agent reached out and was like, I need a meeting with you and Shantara. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, y'all need to write a book. And I thought if you go to Amazon, if you go to any bookstore, there are tons of books on anti-racism or how not to do and how. And I was just like, so I really had to pray because I just, I felt like it was already out there and people just needed to read. But then the more I prayed, I thought, you know what, this could be my offering to the world. And this is my offering and not, not getting distracted by the big themes. And I know anti-racism can be a big word. And I know even allyship can be a big word for people. And what people want really want to know is how racist does a family member have to be before I say something? Or they're really wondering, like, what if I make a mistake? Yeah. Yeah, You know? Very specific. Yeah. And that for us was the offering. It was like, let's get, and I know those big themes, those big words, they are necessary. Systemic racism is absolutely necessary. Talking about it, but a lot of people don't know what that is. They don't know when you talk about systems, like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, I went to college with you. What do you, what do you mean that there's racism in our systems? And right, so putting it in a way where people are truly like, no, this is what I need to know. and then. It'll lead me to understanding systemic racism. It'll lead me to understanding microaggressions. It'll lead me to understanding police brutality. Like it'll lead to those big things. But first I I need to understand like why are Black women so sensitive about their hair? Like, can I ask that? And that's what the book is. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's dig into the book. Let's dig in. All right, so... What you did, what you and, and Rosalind did is you kind of took some of these very specific help me understand questions and you put them into chapters, 20 questions, 20 chapters. Yeah. So I wanted to pull out a couple of them, a few okay. of them, and yeah. just have you speak to us about them. Okay. Okay. First one. I'm a good person. How can I be racist? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. People, and I speak very bluntly, so I hope your audience is okay with that. But um, please do. Okay. So, so white people are good at saying that. Like, I'm a good person. There is no, I have no racist bone in my body, right? Like that, those kind of things. And that kind of response or that kind of really defense, it stops conversations from happening. Because it's, it's like, even if I point out to you what you just said or did was a microaggression or it didn't sit well with me as a Black woman, or it was racist as a Black person, as a person of color. And the immediate defense is, well, I'm a good person. And that shuts down the conversation because good, the behavior has nothing to do with the impact that it had on my life. And I right. think so many people are not, are not wanting to recognize the impact. Right. So it's like, well, my intention was not to hurt. Yeah. I, I, and we can think about that in, in our relationships. If someone says, oh, that hurt my feelings. And then we, our immediate defense is, oh, well, I didn't intend to. Yeah, that don't mean you did. Yeah. I don't, it still hurt. It still, still hurt. hurt. It still hurt. So when we get away from the defense of, well, I'm a good person, I have no racist vote in my body. Hold on. What I just said was this, this, this. I'm not, I'm not saying you're not a good person. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying what just happened yes. wasn't cool. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think that if we could unpack that and like extrapolate how, like how can we take that knowledge? So say a donor says something that is completely offensive. Yeah. Maybe not about me as a fundraiser yeah. or my fundraising colleague who happens to be a person of color, but they say something built on assumptions or stereotypes about the communities that we're working in. We need to, honestly, I feel like it's honoring the donor Mm. to educate and not just let that slip by. Yeah. Not making them wrong. And if they said, would I'm a good, would I'm, oh, I understand. I'm a good person. Of course you are. You're such a caring person. I'm just trying to share a little bit more. And and I can see it might be easy to assume that. I thought that too. But here's what I learned. And to just turn it, not to make them wrong, but to expand the conversation. Yeah. Tammy, what you're saying is so important because I think... A lot of times we, as, as human beings, and because the way our world is built on capitalism, we assume that people with a lot of money know more than we do. Yes. Right? And so people in the community, that the community is being served by this particular nonprofit, sometimes their lived experience is discounted because the people with a lot of money, they have to know more. They have to be smarter. And I'm like, no, they may know more in their particular industry. They may know more when it comes to generational wealth, but that doesn't mean your lived experience should be discounted. But as a society, we listen to people who are millionaires and billionaires and we put them on this pedestal Twitter and we act as if they know more than the people on the front lines. And so what is really important is people who do have generational wealth and who are funders and who are donors. And if they keep, if we stay in a position of, I'm a student. Yes. 
I have something to learn. My check doesn't mean I know more. My check doesn't mean I'm smarter than they are. It doesn't mean that their lived experience does not have value. And so saying that I'm a good person, what it tends to do is discount everything that the person with the lived experience has said, and including the person that is raising the funds, like, because we tiptoe around it, like, right? Like, we don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be rude. I don't, even if the other person was rude, well, I don't want to hurt your feelings, even if your feelings are hurt. Exactly. We tiptoe around it instead of just saying, yeah, but their lived experience gives us a lot of knowledge. And if we listen, we'll learn. Yes. I think a great example of that is Mackenzie Scott. Again, absolutely. A white woman. Yeah. Lots of wealth. And she's giving unrestricted operating funds to folks because you know better. You know better. Mm. Like, I don't know what to tell you for these historically black colleges and universities. So you use it as y'all see fit. Thank you. Because we know how to use it. Right. But I think our society, our world, we blame people who need funding, who need the benefit of the nonprofit, whatever they're doing. We blame them for their situation. Right. And I've had people, even when it comes to being a black woman living in America, the fact that black women make less than everybody. Yeah. Everybody, right? Yes. Yes. And it's as if our culture likes to blame us for making less. And it's like, how did I work? Yeah. Explain the logic. Right. And so it's as if I have to convince people that I'm really overqualified, not just qualified. I'm overqualified. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm asking for. And so I always think of people who who benefit from nonprofits. It's like the people have to convince those who are writing checks that, one, we're going to do good by this dollar. We're going to do a good job. We're not going to take advantage of We're not going to do And there's, so, there's a lack of accountability when it comes to people with wealth. Unlike the accountability that is expected for people who are poor. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I just double so, standard. Listen, but when you when you have wealth, you don't have to be accountable because our society has already put you on a pedestal and says, well, they don't need to be accountable. They're billionaires. Twitter. So I just I'm biting my tongue to go to another example, but I try not to get political at all. I know, I know, I know. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Next question. Mm -hmm. What if I say something wrong? Yeah. I love that. And let me tell you, I have learned from my mistakes so much, right? Like I, oh my gosh, I've learned from my mistakes. When I think of, not only growing up in the world, and we expect young people to make mistakes. Some of us, like we really are, because they're developing. Young people are developing. Yes. Except that we have this, this click in our brain when they turn 18, all of a sudden they're supposed to be full of wisdom. I'm like, no, y'all do understand that 18 is just an 18. But our culture has put so much responsibility on 18-year-old adult. And I'm like, do y'all remember when you were 18? 
you didn't know more than when you were 17. Like, not- exactly. <laughs> and so when I think about the grace that is given, right, in order to make mistakes, and, and we do that to young people because they're still developing. Well, I think the same way when it comes to mistakes about race and racism. And I think that I have to position myself to extend grace because when I talked earlier about being in the same classrooms, like the stuff that I'm learning or that I've learned, I realized my friend didn't learn it because we we were in the same classroom. There were things that we were not taught about the Tulsa massacre. I was in the same classroom because where I grew up, how I grew up, predominantly white schools and white institutions and white classrooms, never had a Black teacher in, in all my years of elementary, middle, high, college, grad school. Wow. Never had a teacher that looked like me. Right? And so I had to learn from my elders. I had to seek knowledge. I had to ask family questions because certain stuff wasn't talked about. And so I extend that same grace because I'm like, well, if I didn't learn it, I cannot expect people who don't look like me to know this information. Yeah. Right? But the difference is when information is presented and then is discounted or is treated as if it is not real or is treated as if, oh, that didn't really happen or that was so long ago. Because mm. I hear that a lot. Like, oh, slavery was so long ago. Yeah, but if you look at the remnants of it, it's still very much present. It has a long tail. Our friends at Bloomerang know the importance of year-end fundraising to a nonprofit's longevity and success throughout the year. We know that 50% of nonprofits receive a majority of their annual contributions from October to December. To learn how you can make the most of this giving season, head over to bloomerang.com forward slash intentional dash fundraiser to get your copy of the 13 year-end fundraising tips. Listen, it's so present in our culture, in our society. And so when I think about extending grace, I think that we have to put ourselves in a position to make a mistake. We don't learn unless there are mistakes. I'm an entrepreneur. And if I didn't step out on faith, if I didn't put myself in a position to be taught by business coaches, if I didn't put myself in a position to learn, there's no way that you can be successful. Going back to Timothy Scott, if you ever hear a talk or a TED talk or a conversation, she talks about the mistakes that she's made in order to be this woman who is giving unrestricted funds. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But in our world, we don't want to make mistakes. And I think that goes to, well, I don't want someone to think I'm racist. That's really the underlying. Like, well, I don't want anybody to use the R word on me. I don't want any. And I'm like, there's a difference in being a racist and and don't want to learn. Right. They're still committed to that. So committed. But when we talk about making a mistake, it's like, oh, I messed up. And I say this in the book. There is no room for shame in this work. 
I know that there are people, and that's that's what they do. Not connected to race and racism, but we've all been shamed for something in our lives. And I don't want anybody to feel that with anything. And so saying, being able to say to a friend, yeah, what you, okay, so what you just said wasn't, wasn't right. So let me, and, and sitting with them like, oh no, I messed up or I felt, yeah, but now, so now you won't do it again. Yeah. And you've explained why, like, and we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions and what they yes, say. Indeed. Yes, indeed. And so what you say about grace is so powerful. Grace doesn't mean I'm going to ignore that comment. Yeah. Grace means I'm going to assume they meant something good. Let me unpack how it actually occurred on this end. Yeah. Right. Or how yeah. it could occur in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and why? Because when I love Dr. Maya Angelou. Yeah. And yeah. her quote, when you know better, do better. You do better. Yeah. 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 So. Great is like pausing, helping us understand, and then from there forward, like applying that knowledge. Yeah. Like that's your responsibility moving forward. And that's the difference. I now know better. So now I will do better. And even if I don't have to know it perfectly, or I don't have to be eloquent in this, or I don't have to. And I think sometimes a lot of white people feel like, well, I, I'm not going to say it right. Well, if you, somebody around you is saying something racist, you don't need, you don't need a script. You just need to say, oh, that, that's not treating people with dignity. And so that's, that's not cool. And that's it. It doesn't have to be this long history lesson. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to be that at all. It is just, yeah, that, what you just said, it's not treating people with dignity. And if the person says, oh, well, no one in this room is like that or no one. And it's like, yeah, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That, what you just said, is not treating people with dignity. Unacceptable. And go ahead and get get the potato salad. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So that really answers the next question, which I, I think this could really come in handy for so many of us now that we're here at the holiday season. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be gathering around the Christmas table <laughs> or the Hanukkah meal or the Kwanzaa yeah. gathering. Yeah. And people are going to say things. Yep. That yep. will will be dripping in racism. Yeah. Right. Racism. And- all the isms, homophobia, like uh, it just yes. stuff is going to come up. Yeah. Yes. So that question is, how racist does a relative have to be for me to confront them? Yeah. Like, what's the tipping point for you to say, hang on, what you just said is not okay? Yeah. We write in the book about how I, we really wish there was an invisible buzzer around people's heads, right? And so if they say something and it's like, that is kind of... Versus the buzzer is going off and we don't have buzzers over our heads. We don't have the little game piece. And so a lot of times we are sitting in places where we're uncomfortable. And I say we just as human beings, right? And it's like, oh, and we make excuses. Well, that family member is of a certain age or they grew up at a different time or they didn't mean what they said or they, all these things, we make excuses because we really don't want to confront them, right? We've seen their post on social media. We have blocked, we have done all the things. 
And then comes the family time of gathering. And I strongly suggest, like, you're going to see that aunt. It's at the aunt's house. You know you're going to see her. And instead of waiting till the family gathering, how about we reach out to the aunt before the family gathering and just say, hey, you know what? I've seen your post on social media. I would love to have a conversation with you and not wait until the family gathering. Is that okay? Right. I love that. I love that. So different because we get ourselves ready for the family gathering. We are like, we have receipts. We have our folder of information. We are ready to battle with this aunt or uncle or cousin. We are ready. And no, because when I think about the preparation that goes in to getting this family gathering and, and the text that has happened to make sure who's bringing what and who's doing like. No, that person does not want it ruined by this confrontation. And so if we reach out before and say, you know what? I saw your last post and I was wondering if we could talk about it. Yeah. Before the family gathering. Yes. I'm so looking forward to seeing you. Can't wait. And I just want to talk about that post. Yeah. 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 Love, and if I they say, that. if they say no, or we don't need to talk about it. Then that also means when you see that person at the family gathering, we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. We're not going to talk because there is a like, oh, you want to talk about it? I, I really, I thought that we could talk about it without an audience. So if you want to talk about it tomorrow, I can make some time in my schedule because that's still treating a theme in the book is dignity. And that is still treating that person with dignity. I often tell people, I know that I can make someone feel like dust with my words. And I am thankful. I am thankful that that is not a desire, hmm. right? I don't want to belittle someone. I don't want to embarrass someone. And I think that if we are honest with ourselves, especially when it comes to these family gatherings and this, this, like, oh, I'm going to show them. Is that about them or is that about you? Yeah. Right? Attachment to being right or flexing or yes. whatever that is. Even if you have all the right information, mm -hmm. even if they have put something on social media that is a bold-faced lie, that is wrong, that is just... And if you reach out especially when it comes to race and racism. Those, those things that people say about either Black people, people of color don't want to work, or people of color expect certain things because of the, just those themes that come across every social media platform, that is just wrong. And even if you what you know is to be true, even if you know it's true, reaching out before the family gathering with your courageous discomfort self. Because I always, I'm like, it is bravery yes, to, to have a conversation. It's uncomfortable. We wiggle in our chairs. Like, I don't really want to say this, but that's what we need. Because so many times people are getting away with spreading misinformation. And I think it has to stop. It has to stop. Been just so many tragedies. It's like, Please, God, let this be the one that really is the catalyst for change. Because we can go back name after name after name and nothing measurable changes. Yeah. 
But that's what the yes. summer of 2020 was supposed to do, right? Like organizations changed their website. They had statements on their website. And then if you go back and look, websites have gone back to, it's like on Facebook when you have a, a temporary profile picture. Yes. And right. And you set the time that you want the picture to how long you want it to be up there and when you want to go back. And it's like, oh, okay, these websites, these statements were temporary. Yeah. You know, we checked a box. We checked a box. And a lot of times what people are, it's performative. It's performing. Let me show. Let me. And and truthfully, I when I come to shopping, I looked at companies' websites. What, who y'all donate to? What y'all? What do y'all stand for? What y'all doing? Right. And I think that the summer of 2020 was the beginning of the timeline. And then after three months, it, this was supposed to be over and we were all supposed to be back in place. So our temporary website was for three months and then we all mm-hmm. go back to the real. Well, I'm grateful that leaders like you and Rosalind writing these books, keeping this conversation alive continuing to educate and say like time out yeah this is not okay and gathering and creating a community of all kind of people to stand together and in action right so let me kind of segue into another question that you ask and what does being an ally really mean yeah. And I think for so many people, it's it's like, well, I put up the the black square on on social media or I or I did that. Like, again, I did the 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 website I did. And yes. and being an ally means more than being sympathetic. It's more than it's more than saying, oh, I'm so sorry. It's it's speaking when I'm not in the room It's sacrifice. I I give people room to say, well, you may not want to be an ally. And that's between you and you. I don't need to know because there is cost. And I think a lot of times we don't include that in the ally conversation. That means I may lose this donor. Yes. If I correct this donor and they get offended because I've corrected them, then they may take their check. But what they're saying about this community isn't right. And I've had a conversation with them. I've, I've tried to educate them. They, they are stuck on what they want to believe. And I know, again, been in the nonprofit world, I know the need for funders. I know it to be, I know it, listen. Um, and a lot of times we feel like, well, but I'm going to do good with a check. I'm going to do good with it. And it's like, and I had to learn this the hard way. Every dollar is not a good dollar. That's right. Right. And so if they are, if they are convinced that their racist antics and, and their, their comments about the people that we serve matter more than, than what I'm telling them after I have corrected them and told them, then as an ally, I'm going to tell them, no, thank you. Which is scary as all get out. Yeah, it so is. Scary. It's so scary. And then we even say, and, and I could, I see a white donor right now that's like, but wait, but but if I say that, and then then I'm doing the disservice to the community, right? Like if I if I don't take their check because what I'm gonna do with their check is good, I get you. But behind their check, 
is not good. What they're saying about the people that we serve, what they believe about the people that we serve, isn't good. And it's so hard. But I believe that when we make room, better will come. I agree. I will tell you a quick story. So I was chief development officer with an amazing organization in the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And of course, the city of Detroit Mm -hmm. is largely a community of color. And so this organization, Serving Children with Mental and Behavioral Health Issues, largely served children of color. It's just like where you are. And of course, the inequitable access to great mental and behavioral health care. Like, so we definitely attracted communities of color and we're doing really remarkable work with these super courageous, inspiring families. Yeah. And we started a campaign to talk about the institutional racism and the impact, especially on young Black boys. And so our messaging was around, and the data's there. The data is devastating. If you take a 12-year-old boy of color and a 12-year-old Caucasian boy and put them through the same experience, one gets detention, one gets expelled. Exactly. One gets passed, 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 one goes to juvenile detention. Exactly. It's right there. It's right there. It's data. Yeah. Yeah. And so this campaign was the imperative for our young Black boys. And the tagline was, Detroit's coming back unless you're a Black boy. Mm. So provocative to really capture attention. Like, what do you mean? And our CEO, who is a beautiful woman, brilliant leader of color, has been there 30 years. And she said, but Tammy, what if we lose some of our donors? Yeah. Because it is. It's like, here's the facts. And I said, well, if we lose them, then they're really not our people. Yeah. And when you make space, when you just take a stand in integrity and miss, if you do lose some, I do, like you, I believe that makes a space for people to say, that's an organization that really stands by their values. Give me some of that. You know, I want to be a part of something that really matters like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right, I'm going to get off my soapbox. I just wanted to underscore your... And I get it. Listen, I get it. Being in the... Not, working with foundations and really doing the work so that foundations say, yes, I want to give you this check or what. I have been there. Yeah. I have been there. But if we keep taking funding from people that really don't believe in the mission, then what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah, we're helping perpetuate the problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So an ally means we may lose something. It will cost and, 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 but it's more than just being sympathetic. I don't need another, I'm so sorry, a a text from anybody. I need somebody to, oh, oh, I don't even know what they're doing. I don't even know how they're speaking up for me. I don't even need to be in the room. I don't need a a Instagram post. I don't need a social media. I I don't need. Yes. Just do the work. Yes. Yes. Because it's goodness, because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing. Not because I want to be acknowledged as an ally. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. In the closing of your book, you really wrote this beautiful call to action that I want our listeners to hear. And so here's how it reads. There's one more action item we'd like to leave you with. It's simple and it takes courage to believe. 
You are needed on this journey. You may never march in a protest or consider yourselves on the front lines of ending racism, but here you are, and your presence makes a difference. And you aren't alone. There are many people on this journey with you. There are people waiting for you to speak up. Many are waiting for you to simply hold space for them and just see them in this world. And I can see you right now, and I see you wiping a tear. That continues, there will be many opportunities for you to incorporate what you've learned, and you are ready for the lessons. Yes, it will be uncomfortable, but continue to put one foot in front of the other. You're more courageous than afraid of a little discomfort. You have courageous discomfort. Oh, I can't believe I even got through that without my voice cracking. It's so beautiful and it's so true. You're needed. You're needed. And I think a lot of us feel like, well, how am I going to make a difference? I'm not marching. I'm not on the front lines. I'm not doing... And I'm like, no, 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 you will be, I remember that Mark Cuban said to this, this amazing woman, Arlen, and I, her last name just went out of my head and I have her book. Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm going to be so mad at myself, but I'll send it to you later. But Mark Cuban said to her, black woman, he said, you will be in, in rooms that I am not. And that right there was like, I'm going to invest in your company because you will be in rooms that I am not. And I think when we position ourselves in the posture of courageous discomfort, I always tell people, you will be in rooms where I'm not. You will be at family gatherings where I won't be. You will be at tables where I'm not. And so, yes, it's uncomfortable, but but you have it. Okay. You have it. Yeah. You have it. You are brave. You are courageous. Listen, it's in you. It's in you. I truly believe anybody who picks up the book, that's also on Audible. I got to throw that in if people want to hear it. But I, I think that it is, it draws people who feel like I can't be an ally or I can't. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's already in you. Yeah. Yeah. So beautiful. Just seize it. Embrace it. Be it. That's it. Again, you will be in family gatherings that I am not. You will be in friend groups that I am not. You will be. And it's the small, it's, I think it's harder to do stuff, especially that's, that makes us uncomfortable at home than it is to do it out in the world. But yeah. I believe in changing stuff starting at home and then going out into the world. Yeah. Beautiful. What a great call to action. And again, as we, March into the holiday season, we will have many opportunities. <laughs> Love it. Oh, thank you for joining us, Shantara. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I, I'm full. Thank you for having me. Mm, my pleasure. This is not our last conversation. Absolutely not. <laughs> we just got warmed up. <laughs> we did. If you want to learn more about Shantara and her book with co-author Rosalind Wiseman, Courageous Discomfort, We've included links in the show notes today. We'll include links to the Audible version as well, as well as links to other resources that we've talked about today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. Keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. Bye for now. 
Thank you to our friends at Bloomerang for supporting this episode. Learn why fundraisers love using Bloomerang and grab your copy of the 13 year-end fundraising tips ebook at bloomerang.com forward slash intentional dash fundraiser. The link is in the show notes. That's it for this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. If you like this podcast, subscribe and download each episode on your favorite podcast platform. Share it on social media with the hashtag, The Intentional Fundraiser, and tag me, Tammy Zonker, and you'll be entered into a drawing for some great swag, books, and courses. And if you like today's show, you might also be interested in becoming a member of my Fundraising Transformer community where I go live twice a month with my members with fundraising training and group coaching to help transform those fundraising issues that keep you awake at night where I pull back the curtain on how you can take your fundraising results to the next level by teaching ways you can improve your development operations create a results driven donor centric development plan strengthen donor relationships improve your donor retention rates and build a raging monthly giving program and a successful major gifts program and how you can approach each day to ensure you'll perform at your highest level so you can be the best fundraiser and the best person you can possibly be. You can learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com forward slash transformers. Thank you for showing up and for having the courage and determination to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. Bye for now.